I'm ready to preach today if y'all are ready to hear it. Amen. Amen. I'm going to jump straight into the word. Go with me to John chapter 3 today. John chapter 3. I want to look at verses 22 through 30. And then also Revelation chapter 4. And we'll look at verses 9 through 11. The Gospel of John chapter 3. Start at verse 22. And go down to verse 30. While you're looking for it or getting ready to scroll for it or getting ready to look on the screen, um, I never want to assume anything. How many of you have never heard me preach before? Can I see your hand if you never heard me preach? Y'all are a growing family. Come on. Quite a few of you. Okay, quick disclaimer. I am a hollaback preacher. Okay. All right. The only people that can be quiet during this message are those of you still at home watching in your bathrobe. Y'all can do whatever you want. You in your house. Okay. But if you are in the room, if you feeling what I'm saying, you can say amen. Say that's for me. Uh, elbow your neighbor. Say that's for you. Any one of those will work. Uh, John chapter 3, and we'll start at verse number 22. And it says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there. And people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man, they're talking about Jesus, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing every, and everyone is going to him. Isn't it funny the news that some people will bring to you? You may have somebody call you and be like, did you for real call me for that right there? John's disciples are coming to him trying to create a climate of conflict and comparison because they're saying, hey, uh, John, everybody's leaving you and they're going to Jesus now. And John, in a sense, is going, uh, duh, that's the point. He says, to this he replied, a person can only receive what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said it. I told y'all, download the last podcast. I told you I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And that joy is mine. It is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Another person says he must increase and I must decrease. Let's look at Revelation chapter 4. Look at verse 9 through 11. It says, wherever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Can you say amen? amen? John says, I must decrease so that he may increase. But John, not the Baptist, but the disciple who wrote the book of John and also wrote the book of Revelation, sees heaven and the elders cast their crowns before the throne of God. I want to preach to you today, not long, probably about four and a half hours. <laughs> Just using this as a title, no crown. No crown. I want you to help me preach before I preach and just look at your neighbor, whichever one you like the best. 
Just look at him, say neighbor. Come on, don't be afraid to talk to your neighbor, even if you got a mask on. Come on. Look at him, say neighbor. I know you think you cute, <laughs> but no crowd. Come on, find you another neighbor. Say other neighbor. I know you think you all that, but hear me when I tell you, <laughs> no crowd. Come on, let's pray before we go into this word today. Jesus, thank you for your word that changes us, that challenges us, that transforms us. God, I pray that you would do more than my illustrations or words could ever do. Holy Spirit, saturate every phrase, every word. Saturate this moment. God, let us leave different than the way that we came in. Let us be different after hearing this word. We give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Come on, everybody said. People's Church fam, before I came out here to preach today, we had a pre-service production meeting. And in the mini meeting, I was asked the question that I am often asked before I preach. As a matter of fact, I've been preaching some 17 years now. And almost every time before I preached, I am asked this question in some shape or form, either through email, text, fax. Somebody will ask me this question. And the question is, Pastor Robert, do you have any props or illustrations that you'll be using in your message today? And I think it's my familiarity with that question that has made me unaware of how nuanced that question is to what I've been called to do. Because how many know preachers will use some props and illustrations to make a message come alive? Ooh, especially preachers today. If you don't believe me, just go on Monday to a preacher's Instagram page and just scroll through. You will see that preacher on ladders, holding all kinds of foreign objects, just trying to make the word of God come to life. Preachers use props, we use illustrations. And the reason we use illustrations is because we have been given the call, the assignment, the daunting task, if you will, to articulate the ideas and the concepts of the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of man, not the kingdom of republicanism or being a Democrat, the kingdom of God, a kingdom that is so transcendent, a kingdom that is above you, a kingdom whose ways are above your ways and whose thoughts are above our thoughts, a kingdom that is completely antithetical to the kingdoms and the systems of this world. How can you express the inexpressible? How can you articulate the intangible? How can you preach something? Something that really your mind can't comprehend your spirit has to reveal the things that are in the word of God it is a challenge oh so preachers we use props even Jesus had this challenge oh yeah read your Bible every time Jesus preached to a crowd the Bible says that he always talked to them in parables he was a storyteller. He was using concepts in the earth that they could understand to articulate the concepts of the kingdom that they could not understand. Jesus used parables. Preachers used props. And so I was just thinking about this, and uh, I've made a list. I made a list of, like, different props I've used throughout my years of preaching. Ooh, 
It's a whole bunch. It's not a comprehensive list, but it just made me laugh. All of these things I've used in a message, some of them are still in my house right now. Just this is a ladder, toy train, basketball, Barbies, barbells, hammer, nails, anvil, sword, seeds, trolls, plants, dirt, mannequins, bug spray, violin, plyometric boxes, cardboard boxes, gift boxes, broom, shovel, trees, dog ball, toilet, rug, flowers, mirrors, magnifying glass, oversized sunglasses, candles, salt, dollar bills, dimes, tithing. Anyway, kiddie pool, inflatables, oil, extension cords, bungee cords, rope, keys, Christmas trees, and a cow tongue. Woo! Cow tongue. It's a long story. I'll tell you later. A short story. I'll tell you now. Uh, it's back in the day. Back in the day, uh, Pastor Bo. Back in the day, I- I'm preaching a little junior high camp, and I-, I saw another preacher do it, so I said it might work for me. And I walked in junior high little camp, and I was like, junior high, sit down. Had a bag. In the bag, I had a cow tongue. You don't get it at the grocery store. I had a cow tongue in the bag. And they're like, what's in the bag? I said, oh, I'm going to tell you what's in the bag. They're like, let us see it. I said, oh, you can't see it because in this bag is the most deadly, poisonous thing in the world. I said, what's in this bag can destroy a life. What's in this bag is lethal. It is scary. They're like, what is it? Oh, you want to see it? I took out the cow tongue, put it on the table. They said, oh, that's gross. I said, it's not as gross as what comes out of your mouth in the cafeteria. That's junior high preaching, just whatever it takes to get them engaged and get them at the altar and help them out. But that's, that's, that's the life of a preacher is we use props. And uh, I, I got to add another prop to the list today because I brought a prop to Oklahoma. I got another prop. Anybody know what this is? Ooh, smoke detector. That, that's a good guess. It looks like a smoke detector, but smoke detectors are interesting because you can already see the smoke. Like, you can see fire. The beep is a little extra, if you ask me. This is actually a, this is a carbon monoxide detector. This little piece of equipment is vital. It is necessary. Matter of fact, you cannot build a building without having a carbon monoxide detector in it. By code, every building, every structure that is made has to have a carbon monoxide detector because carbon monoxide is lethally dangerous. I don't want to start off morbid, but you understand that 20,000 people a year find themselves in the emergency room because of carbon monoxide. 400 people a year die because of carbon monoxide. And the reason that carbon monoxide is so lethal is because it is colorless and it is odorless. You can't see it. You can't smell it. So it could be in the room right now and you wouldn't even know it. All you would know is you would experience the symptoms. Your head would hurt and all of a sudden you'd get nauseous and before you know it, you would get sleepy and you would ultimately die from a toxin that you can't even see. Carbon monoxide is lethal. In fact, the CDC calls carbon monoxide the silent killer silent killer. And I didn't come to Oklahoma to talk to you about carbon monoxide today. But I do want to talk about a silent killer. And that silent killer is pride. Pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. Pride is the thing that can be in your life and you won't even know it. 
Pride is the thing that will be in your life and you won't see it, you won't smell it, but it will be silently and subtly and secretly seeping into your heart, seeping into your life, suffocating the plan and the purposes of God in your life. I'm telling you, nothing will shut down what God wants to do in your life like pride. Pride will remove the hand of God from your life. Pride will stop God from doing exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask, think, or imagine. Pride has always been the silent killer. It is lethal. There is nothing like pride. Pride is what destroys marriages. Pride is what destroys relationship. Pride is what ruins families. Pride is what makes a father hold on to bitterness and not forgive their son. Pride is what rips apart neighborhoods. Pride is what kills companies. Pride is what shuts down churches and authentic moves of God. Pride has always been the problem. Pride is America's stronghold. Oh, can I be real in here today? Pride is America's biggest stronghold. You do understand that different countries, different nations, sometimes even cities and towns have particular strongholds, negative patterns of thinking, strongholds that are over them. And you don't need a sociology degree and you ain't got to be prophetic to know that pride is America's biggest stronghold. We are proud to be American. We read the Bible and think the Bible just talking about us, nobody else in the world. Pride is America's stronghold. Oh, you know, I'm struggling. I'm from Texas. We think we are our own country. We got pride in Texas. Pride is the silent killer. What do you do with pride? Augustine says something that I think we need to look at. He said pride is always the sin beneath the sin. Pride is a root issue. In other words, you can be dealing with something on the surface and you think the issue is on the surface, but if you get to the root of that issue, it's really just pride. Give us some examples, Robert. Okay, I'll give you some examples. <laughs> so uh, on the surface, on the surface, you think the issue is anxiety or worry in your life. But that's just the surface. At the root, it's pride. The reason you're anxious, the reason you're worried is because of pride. Because in your pride, you're the one that told God, didn't you? You said, God, okay, let me tell you my plan. At 26, I need to be married. Uh, I need him to be tall, dark, and handsome, okay? At least 6'3", nothing less than 6'3". Didn't you tell him that? You prayed this prayer. You said, God, I need this career. I need this house. Uh, Mid-century modern, needs to be in the suburbs. Uh, God, I need a BMW, nothing less than a 5 Series. I mean, God, you prayed about this, didn't you? You told God that's what you want. And now you're worried, and now you're anxious because you're 38 and you ain't married <laughs> or you are but he's 5'1 <laughs> and you don't got the house <laughs> and you don't got the beamer you in the Prius and you don't have the job you want and so you are anxious and you're worried and you're like God why isn't this coming to pass and God's saying the problem is the pride that you had telling me your plans instead of asking me what do I have planned for your life pride oh. Pride is always what's at the root. Can I go deeper? Y'all might not shout today. So on the surface, it's indecisiveness. But at the root, it's pride. It's pride. Because if I do take the step of faith, if I am obedient, what if I fail? What if I start the business and it fails? What if I do what God told me to do and it fails? 
and people are going to know. So I would rather stay in the bay of indecisiveness and procrastinate my purpose than to step into what God has called me to do because I'm afraid I'm going to fail and I can't deal with the shame of people knowing I didn't make it. And so I think it's indecisiveness, but it's really just pride. Every argument is pride because pride always wants to prove a point. He doesn't want to save the marriage. It wants to prove the point. All bitterness at the root is pride. It's just pride. You're only bitter at people you think you're better than. Because <laughs> it's pride. That's the reason you're bitter. Because you think you're better. Because you can't figure out how could they do that to me. I cannot believe they would say that about me. I cannot believe. Can you believe it? Girl, can you believe that she would talk behind my back? I would never talk behind anybody's back, as you tell your friend. I would never talk behind anybody's back. It's pride. Pride is always at the root. Pride is what turned an angel into a devil. It preceded the fall of man. It made its way into heaven. Satan, Lucifer, he used to be on the praise and worship team of heaven until pride was found in his heart. And that's what got him cast down. And not just him, two-thirds of the angels, 66% of the angels fell because of pride. Pride has always been the problem. That's what got him cast out. And I came to tell somebody today that pride is the deadbolt that will always block your access to the presence of God. Pride is the deadbolt that blocks your access to his presence. But humility, humility is the hinge upon which the heavens will open up to you. Oh, if you want a miracle, if you want to see God show up in your life, then you better get some humility because humility is the thing that God can't stay away from. Oh, he opposes the proud. He doesn't even like a proud look, but God says, if you got humility, I will always rush in to where humility is. I will always show up when there's humility. You ain't even got to be perfect. You could be broke, busted, and disgusted, but if that broke, busted, and disgustedness makes you get humble, if it makes you get on your knees and say, God, I can't do this without you. God, I know I was in the club last night. I knew I shouldn't have been drinking that, but God, I realize that's not me. If that gets you on your knees, it don't matter how ratchet your life was, that humility will cause him to be drawn to you. Oh, a broken and a contrite spirit he cannot deny. It's something about humility that draws in his presence. Humility is the hinge upon which the heavens open up to you. Oh, that's why the heavens opened up that day with Jesus and John the Baptist. The reason the heavens opened up above them was because there was humility in the water that day. It was John the Baptist's humility who said, I am not the Christ. I'm just preparing the way for the Christ. He said, I'm not the light. I'm just the one pointing to him who is the light. He said, I am not the word. I'm just a voice making way for the word. He said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm just here to point you to him. And that humility is what got God's attention. Not just John's humility that day. What about Jesus' humility? Because the question I ask is, why in the world did Jesus get baptized? You ever think about that? (laughs) Like for baptism, come on, it's for you to make a public profession 
of your faith. It's saying the old me is going down in the water and repenting of my sins. The new me is coming up out of the water. There's no old or new Jesus. How in the world is the spotless, sinless Lamb of God taking the time to be in the line with the other sinners that day to get baptized? You know what it was? It was his humility. He said, John, we got to do this. I know you tripping because you got to baptize the creator of the universe, but this is not about me. This is about those that are coming after me. I have to be the perfect example. I have to complete the will of my father. I got to live the life that they're supposed to live and die the death that they're supposed to die. I have to fulfill all righteousness. It was the humility of Jesus, the humility of John. No wonder the heavens opened up that day in the water because humility will always attract the presence of God and pride will always repel it. What did you say, James chapter 4? Oh, but God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. James will later go on to write that you must resist the devil and he will flee. Ooh, that messed me up. It says, resist the devil and he'll flee. But if I got pride, God will resist me. Resist the devil and he will flee. But if I have pride, God will resist me. So if pride is the thing that will cause God to resist me, and I got to resist the devil so he will flee, I wonder what the devil's going to come to me with. I wonder what he's going to always say in my ear. He's going to say, do you? Do you? Forget them. It's your world. I'll let him make it sound nicer. Follow your heart. <laughs> Be your true self. <laughs> Pride. Pride is the silent killer. So I'm wondering if I can't see it, if I can't smell it, how do I know when I have pride? Let's do a survey. People's church survey. Will y'all promise to be honest in the survey? Oh, they laughed. They didn't even say yeah. Y'all promise to be honest? Okay, y'all watching online, will y'all be honest? Okay. How many would lift up your hands, true survey, and say, like, you, like, really struggle with pride? Can I see your hand? You okay, you really struggle with pride. Okay. All right. Okay, you put it down. Those of you who didn't lift up your hand, <laughs> I love you, but I'm worried about you. And the reason I'm worried about you is because how many know the most prideful people will never admit <laughs> that they have pride? The pride prohibits them from admitting <laughs> they have pride. <laughs> In fact, the most prideful people are listening to this message right now going, oh, I cannot wait to send this to all my friends. They really need this because... <laughs> Pride hides. <laughs> you can't see it. You can't smell it. That's the problem with it. Ooh, this is fun. Um, let me ask another question, okay? Here's another question. How many of you be honest, honest enough to say that you are really humble? Like, you're incredibly humble. Can I see your hand? Like, like no, come, come on, be like, like, you should write a book on how you achieved humility. Like, you need a website called theepitomeofhumility.com with your picture on the front going like this. You see, the problem with humility is that the moment 
you claim you have humility and you start bragging about it, you lose it. <laughs> so you can't even see humility. Humility is always hidden. How many know whenever you encounter a humble person, you don't walk away from that person thinking about how humble they were? Generally, when you encounter a humble person, you actually walk away feeling better about you. You walk away from humble people going, man, they actually asked me more questions about my life than they did telling me about theirs. Man, I actually felt seen by them. I felt heard. You don't walk away from humble people thinking about them. You actually feel better about you because humility is hidden and pride hides. So how do you know? Pride even manifests itself in different ways. Superiority and inferiority. See, some of you think the only, your only vision of a prideful person is a person that, like, wears sunglasses inside. <laughs> and they're always like, you know, that, that superiority, like, but that's not always pride. Pride can also manifest in the person, and you talk to them, they're like, yeah, nobody thinks about me. Yeah, nobody cares about me. Nobody called me. Nobody waved at me today at church. Nobody talked to me today. Huh, whole pandemic. It's been a year. Nobody's called me. Nobody texts me. Nobody Zooms me. Nobody asks me how I'm feeling. Nobody cares about my feelings. Nobody cares about what I'm going through. Nobody asks me. It's still pride. It's just the inferiority manifestation of pride. Because all pride cares about is you being in the center of your world. Through superiority or inferiority. It's always, as long as you're in the middle, it's pride. That's why pride is spelled P-R-I-D-E. Doesn't matter how it manifests. <laughs> as long as I am in the center. Woo. How do you know if you got pride or if you got humility? I wish, you know what I wish? I wish there was like a pride monoxide detector. <laughs> I wish there was like a humility heart check so you could like see, so you could like push a button or like you see, beep, 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 like it would beep if it was pride or humility. Don't you wish that? That'd be awesome because you can't tell. How many know there's some things on the outside that look like they're humility, but it's really just pride in costume? There's some things that look like pride. And people, you look at it and you say, they're so arrogant. But it's not pride. It's really just confidence in God. I'm telling you, it's a thin line between godly confidence and arrogance. There are some things that look like arrogance, and it's not arrogance. It's just godly confidence. It's just somebody who knows who their God is and knows what their God can do through them. And you think it's arrogance. It's not arrogance. It's just God confidence. I'll give you a Bible example. You remember that time David went to the battlefield? Remember when he went to the battlefield and he was just bringing them the ham and cheese sandwich? That was his job. He drops off the ham and cheese sandwich, but he hears the giant that day, Goliath, defying the armies of the living God and David can't even put the ham and cheese sandwich down without going, for real? Y'all gonna let him talk about our God like this? Like, no, this has been going on for several days and nobody wants to say anything? Is there not a cause? Oh, he was so angry. And do you remember what his older brother said to him? He accused him of pride. He said, why don't you go back to those little sheep you were watching? I know the pride that's in your heart. You just came down here to see the battlefield. How many of you know it was not David's pride? He had nothing to do with pride. David just had confidence in the God that he served because he'd been on the shepherd's field just worshiping, just playing his harp, singing worship songs to God, and he knew that God could do things through him. David knew. He said, wait a minute. I know I couldn't have killed that lion that day, but God's power came over me, and I killed the lion. He said, I knew I couldn't have killed that bear that day, but God's power started throwing full 
flowing through me and I killed the bear and I just got confidence that the same God that helped me defeat the bear and the same God that helped me defeat the lion will be the same God that will help me knock this giant down. I'm not arrogant. I'm just confident that God's power can work through me. He just had confidence, but they accused him of pride because for them it looked like pride. But do you remember another moment in David's life? Where Goliath was a past distant memory. He's not a little raggedy shepherd boy anymore. Now he's the king. He's in the palace. And the Bible says one day he went out and just started counting his Instagram followers. I'm sorry, his army. <laughs> That's all he did. He just counted his army. Now I'll be honest with you, I look at that from the outside and I go, it's just counting. All I did was count it. That, that's good stewardship. That's a military census. <laughs> just to know how many people in his army. That's what I see. Not God. God was enraged that David counted. Because behind the counting, he could see the pride in David's heart. He could see that he forgot the humility he had when he was just a shepherd boy with nothing but big faith and a big God and a slingshot. But now pride has gotten into your heart because you're the king and you got an army and you went out to count to see how many do I have because you thought your strength was in the army. God called counting pride. I'm just saying you need a detector because you can't see it. You can't smell it. I'm going to give you a test for pride or humility. Because I think pride and humility is often proven in how you respond to things in your life. So here's, here's, your, here's your test. You ready? Is this helping anybody? Number one, how do you respond to criticism? That's a good test for pride <laughs> or humility. How do you respond to criticism? When somebody criticizes you, what is your initial response? Is it immediately to deflect? Up, oh, here's another hater. <laughs> do you deny it? How do you respond? It's a good test for pride or humility. Are you completely deflated by criticism? To the point that somebody criticizes you, now your whole year is ruined because somebody criticizes you? One comment on Facebook has now ruined your life for several months? <laughs> Are you completely deflated? That's the inferiority manifestation. How do you respond to criticism? Truly, people that are truly humble are able to learn from criticism and are able to take the good and throw out the bad. That's why humble people are always smart because they're not so defensive when they get criticism. They actually look at it and say, oh, you know what? I could learn something from that. I've gotten some good preaching tips just from looking at hateful comments on the YouTube section on YouTube. <laughs> Man, you just took a long time to tell that story. Just get to the Bible. You know, you were right. I'll do it next time. My bad. <laughs> you can learn. Humble people can always learn something because they're not so defensive. Humble people, you know what? My breath does think. I switched toothpaste last week. I'm tripping. <laughs> Thank you for letting me know. Probably people, no, don't, don't, don't say my breath thing. How dare you say that? <laughs> How do you respond to criticism? Number two, how do you respond to rejection? How do you respond when you're rejected? Whew. Don't you hate being rejected? 
Uh, especially by stuck-up people. <laughs> by arrogant people. Doesn't it make you so mad? Oh, can't stand stuck-up people. Don't they just make you so mad? People walk in just like they, like they, like they like floated in the room. Don't they make you so mad? Don't speak. Oh, you that special. You can't speak to people. Then they make you so mad stuck up people. Don't mm, can't stand them. Then you just stare them down sometimes like, who does she think she is? Who does he think he is? Think you better than everybody. You ain't better than everybody. I'm better than you. See how it works? Stuck up. Can't even talk. Oh, you don't want to talk? I'm not going to talk to you. See how it works? See the hypocrisy? You will start being stuck up to stuck up people. You will not talk to somebody that doesn't talk to you. You will start thinking you're better than the person that you think is, they think they're better than you. <laughs> Truly humble people. They'll go up to a stuck-up person and be like, hey, hey, how are you? I know you weren't going to speak, but I saw you come in. How's your day? Yeah, good to see you. Sunglasses on inside. Are those Ray-Ban? Those are awesome glasses. Isn't it amazing? I want to go talk to them. I want to learn something. It's humility. How do you respond to rejection? Do you understand the earmark of our Savior coming to earth was that he would be rejected? That he would come into a world that he created and they would reject him? I read the Gospels and I go, Jesus, how did you do this? You are walking among your creation and they are talking to you like they've lost their mind. The Pharisee, I would have sent lightning from heaven the first day. They would have never questioned whether I'm God. Prove to us that you're really the son of God. Just lightning. Bet that'd be the last time you asked that. Not Jesus. He let them argue. Let them call him the devil. He was cool with it because he knew who he was. How do you respond to rejection? How do you respond to advice? That's a good test. How do you respond to advice? Church people are funny. I found that church people will be praying about something, thinking about something, but really want to do what they want to do. And they'll ask people for advice, and they'll keep asking they're just trying to get people to confirm what they already want to do. <laughs> so sometimes people come to me for advice. I'd be like, well, what do you want to do? And I'd say, well, just do that. Because <laughs> that's what some people just want to hear. They don't really want advice. They just want to hear what they want to do in somebody else's voice. <laughs> so I ask them, what do you want to do? And so a good test when you ask for advice is how do you respond when somebody gives you advice that's contrary to what you want to do? Do you receive it in humility? Or does pride come up? When somebody around you that loves you and cares for you and says, boo, he is not the one. That's not it. No, 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 babe, babe, no, 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 do not, no, don't marry him. Did you read his driver's license? His first name is Freddie. His last name is Kruger. If I were you, I would run. Well, you don't know him, okay? We went to Applebee's and he prayed before they brought out the mac and cheese. You don't even know him like I know him. How do you respond to advice? I'm being funny, but I'm teaching. How do you respond to praise? To praise. When people compliment you, when people comment on your page, how do you respond? 
Do you realize that psychologists are scrambling to catch up to the research of how social media is rewiring our brains? Particularly the amount of dopamine, pleasure that we get from notifications, from likes, from posts. We are obsessed with praise. Not in a healthy way from people in our community. No, we need likes from strangers. <laughs> we need affirmation from people who don't even know us. And we're obsessed. You don't believe me? Post something and then don't look at it till two weeks from then. Post the picture of the vacation and then just after you post it, don't look at it. You ever try to have a conversation with somebody that's posted something and they're waiting for the comments to come in? It's like a fiend. It's like a drug addict. They don't hear anything you're saying. You may as well not talk to them. You'll be telling them about your day. Like, oh, yeah, you did. Yeah. Yo, that's cool. You went to the mall. Yeah, hold on one second. And they'll start, just start looking at their phone, trying to get the praise, get the comments. How do you respond to praise? Are you able to take it without it going to your head? Do you do the false humility thing? Oh, not me. All him. It's all him. Really? Really? God sang the song? Really? God gave the report that false humility? Not, not me. It's all him. Come on. False humility? How many of you know, yes, it was God, but it was you too. It was a collaborative effort. This is actually how God accomplishes his purposes in the earth. It is God, but it's also you. How many of you know, it's your hustle with the hand of God. It's your grind, but it's also the grace of God. And you need both. You need his grace and you need your grind. You need your hustle, but you also need God's hand behind your hustle. So it's both. So it's all right when somebody gives you praise or a compliment to say, thank you. Thank you. I worked hard on it, but to still in a secret place say, God, thank you so much. I know I couldn't have done that if you hadn't come behind me. I know I studied, but God, it was you bringing them to my mind, bringing the answers to my mind at the test. I couldn't have done it without you. How do you receive praise? Ooh, how do you respond? Let's look at it. To criticism, rejection, advice, and praise. How do you respond to the crap? The crap. Because that's all it is. It's a good litmus test for pride or humility. Now, to those of you who are upset, I'm about to write a letter to Pastor Herbert because I used that word. <laughs> Let me give you a biblical context and tell you I'm not being crass. When you get home, read Philippians chapter 3. You ever read in Philippians chapter 3 where Paul says, I believe it's around verse 7, he says, one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I press towards what's ahead. You ever read that verse? Now before you clap, we read that verse and we think, I got to forget what's behind. I got to forget my sin. I got to forget the mistakes of my past. I got to forget 2020. Ooh, forget it. But that's not the context of that verse. Early in Philippians, Paul starts flexing. He starts listing all his accomplishments. He said, let me just have a moment in the flesh real quick and let y'all know before you were on Instagram, I had a blue check before all of y'all. Okay. He just starts listing all his accomplishments. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee. I spoke in different languages. He starts listing all of his 
pedigree. But then he says, I consider all that loss. He said, I consider it dung, King James Version. I consider it crap. Literally the meaning of that word, for what? For one thing, that I may know him. That I may know him. That I may know what it is. That I may know him. He said that I may know him. He said all of my, all of that I consider it crap for one thing that I may know him. So when he gets down to that verse and says, one thing I do forgetting what's behind, I press towards what's ahead. Paul's not talking about his success. He's not talking about his failures. Paul says, I got to forget my successes. I got to forget all the stuff that if I meditate on it, it's going to produce a pride in me that's going to block me from his presence. He said, I ain't got to forget my failures. I, I ain't got to forget my uh, failures. I got to forget my successes. If I, forget, if I don't forget the successes, it's going to produce a pride in me. It's going to block me from his presence. Paul says, essentially, it's all crap. He does what John the Baptist does when they try to create a climate of comparison between him and Jesus. And his disciples come running to him to tattletale that your ministry is going down now. They're going to Jesus. John goes, that's the point. I have to decrease so that he may increase. And every day of your life, you have to decrease because the pride will block you from his presence. In the days of Caesars in Rome, they would have something called a triumph. It's actually where we get our word triumph. And a triumph was actually just a big parade after a military victory, after they won a battle, they'd have multiple days of a triumph, a parade, and the Caesar would ride on his chariot with his nice little outfit, and, and the crowd would be cheering and screaming and clapping. It's funny, the Caesar didn't even fight. His army did, but he would stand on the chariot smiling, going around the city waving. And as the people were cheering and screaming behind the Caesar or the emperor would be a servant. And the servant had two jobs. The servant was to hold the crown because these parades would last several days. Hold the crown of the emperor or the Caesar because if the Caesar kept wearing it, it's too heavy to wear for several days. Indicative of the fact that humanity was not created to receive glory. You do know that glory will crush you. You were not created to receive worship. You were not created to receive glory. How many of you know all you got to do is look in our world today. Look at whoever you want to look at. Look at who was at the top of the top. The best singer, the best whatever. Look at how their life ended up. It ended up often in turmoil because humanity was not created to receive praise. We were not created to receive glory. I'm telling you, if you're trying to receive the praise and the glory of man, it is going to crush you because you cannot sit under that weight. You were created to get the glory back to the God that created you to reflect the glory back to him. If you wear the crown, it's going to crush you. You can't handle it. So the servant would hold the crown. But the servant had another job. The servant was to whisper in the Caesar's ear while the crowds are screaming. 
he whispered this word or this phrase. Momento more. Momento more. The crowds are screaming, but in the ear, the servant's saying, Momento more. Momento more. Which means, remember you are mortal. Remember you can die. Do not let the praises and the affirmation of these people go to your head. You are just a man. You can die too. Do not become intoxicated from the affirmation of other people. In other words, he's saying decrease. Decrease. Don't wear the crown. Then I look at the book of Revelation. And I look at John who gets a vision of heaven. And what does John see in heaven? A throne. And God is on the throne and surrounding the throne are 24 elders, 24 elders. Who are these elders? Anytime you see elders in the Bible, it's talking about the church. That's who those 24 elders are. They're not angels. It's a picture of the church. The church is surrounding the throne, the 24 elders. Come on, the 12 tribes of the Old Testament, the 12 disciples in the New Testament. These, this is the church. Those who follow Jesus, they are surrounding the throne of God. And what do they have? Crowns they have crowns. You know why they have crowns? Because the crown is the reward that you receive for being faithful on the earth. The crown is the reward of the believer. Come on, I wish I had some believers in here today that are thankful that you will get a crown one day. That's why you ought not fight your battles. Let God fight your battles. How many know God is a great record keeper and he is keeping record of everything that you do in the earth. He's keeping record of you praying for your enemies and blessing them that curse you. That's why you got to be faithful. That's why you can't quit and throw in the towel because God is a good record keeper. And how many are thankful? There will come a day in the twinkling of an eye, a trumpet is going to sound. And those of us who have been faithful in the earth, those of us who have been worshiping God, we will be caught up to meet him. And thanks be unto God that there is a reward for being faithful. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not looking for you to give me my reward for preaching the gospel because God is watching me. He's keeping the record. There will be a crown of righteousness and glory. There's a crown. Don't you give up. Don't you walk away from your faith because you're going through suffering. There is a reward. And you might not get it here on earth. But earth doesn't have the final say. Heaven does. Heaven does. You do know we're going somewhere. You do know this isn't our home, right? There's a crown. But what do the elders do with their crown? They cast it down. Why do they cast down the crown? Because they realize in the presence of God that He is the reward. They realize in His presence yes this crown is great but they realize in his presence what they should realize in the earth that the greatest reward is him he is the prize yes I will be rewarded but you are the prize and once they realize that Jesus is their reward they cast down their crowns what are you saying I'm saying no crown I'm saying if you want to see the heavens open up in your life you must have humility don't allow the pride which is what the enemy will always come to you with 
Don't let the pride make you wear the crown. Have the humility to tell your spouse, I'm sorry. Pride wants to prove the point. Do you want to prove a point or do you want to save the marriage? You want to prove a point or do you want your child to come back home? You want to keep holding on to the bitterness that's actually producing sickness in your physical body? Or in humility? You want to say, I'm sorry. You want to stop talking to them because of an election? You're going to lose a relationship because of an election? You're going to walk away from a relationship over an earthly election? Or you want to have the humility I wish I could tell you this would be a one message thing every single day of your life you gotta wake up and say to what degree am I gonna decrease today and to the degree that you decrease is the degree that he will fill you up with his presence and his power and his glory no crown wonder what a church would look like with no crowns. Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you that humility opens up the heavens. God, I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister. Let your church walk in a humility that causes your presence to be so evident to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.